Welcome to the Good Road Podcast, where we talk about creativity, connectivity, and community with anybody involved in the arts, in our home city of Litchfield, and, and the world, world at large. Hello, good evening, and welcome to this, our seventh, is it already? Seventh, yeah. Seventh podcast, and we are, we're breaking the mould a little bit tonight, because up until now, we've been fairly safe, we've only really talked to people that we know, but tonight... We have a stranger in our midst, a gentleman, an incredible gentleman called Chris Fielding. Hello, Chris. Hello. Thanks for having me here. Very exciting. Yeah. Now, Chris has an extraordinary story, and I'm going to start where I kind of started researching you, which is in 1998, when you went on Stars in Your Eyes. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. um, The people I worked with were sick of hearing me singing in the office all day. So they uh, made me, uh, that got an application form, which I sent in with a little cassette tape as it was back in the day. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I sent in uh, one for Gary Newman. And I think I did a David Bowie one. And I might even have done Cliff Richard as well, just to hedge my bets. So um, yeah, and then I got a call. They listened to 90, sorry, no, get this right. They had 90,000 cassettes go into them uh, at Granada TV at the time. They listened to 45,000 and had to bin the rest. Um, And of that 45,000, a whole team of people listening nonstop, they chose, um, I think they auditioned 1,100. And then from that, whittled that down to 260. And then they got a final, um, I think, 60 plus five substitutes um, in case someone's ill. So, yeah, from basically from 90,000 cassettes, I got, got on uh, from that. Um, I mean, that's, that's an extraordinary achievement just amazing. right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. a lot of people think it's just uh, when they watch it, they, they want the person to really look like them. But yeah. really, the, the basis on which they work is what you sound like. Yeah. You know, and they can try and do something else. Um, about about how your appearance is. Yeah, I mean, it, having watched, you know, the kind of video, it's an extraordinary performance because obviously you come out and yeah. you're just Chris and then when you come back, yeah. you're Gary. Yeah. You, 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 you are Gary Newman and... You know, the, the thing is, why did you fixate on Gary Newman? What was it about him that you felt a particular affinity with or yeah, for? I think that's down to uh, the type of child I was. Um, right. Because uh, I uh, imagine uh, Abington at that time mm-hmm. when I was growing up uh, was, um, you know, just a little village with nothing much in it and it was all fields. And, yeah. and then by the time I got out of sort of infant school into junior, then these massive estates suddenly appeared. Yeah. So a lot of Birmingham ever spilled, you know, some tough kids. Suddenly I was surrounded by very, very streetwise tough mm. kids. And I found myself a little bit withdrawn from that. I, I I was a nice kid who was only really associated or got on with other nice kids. And there just didn't seem to be many. So, um, so the reason uh, I liked Gary Newman so much was, um, so I'm 10 years old. It's 1979, and um, 
I found that the uh, that album, for anybody who hasn't bought it, uh, the Replicas album, my brother came home with Replicas. Uh, Our Friends Electric had been number one. I'd sort of missed that. I had heard it vaguely, but I was 10, you know, mm. so I wasn't really. But my brother came home with the Replicas album, and it's, it's, I mean, Gary Newman was the first electronic rock pop star. Yeah. He had the Bowie looks, yeah. the Android Blade Runner theme, and that album, if you put your headphones on and listen to Replicas, the entire thing's a concept album where the, the Android government, if you like, are trying to wipe out the humans. Yeah. Uh, that's the whole theme of it. Bearing in mind everything else in the charts was, you know, D-I-S-C-O and, you know, party sort of nonsense. I loved it. So I I played, I commandeered my brother's album within a week and I played that album for months until yeah. then Cars came out after that with another album. And again, I, got, I actually got his girlfriend to buy him that album, The Pleasure Principle. So back to the earlier question, I think Gary Newman, the, the themes of isolation and being alone and uh, but, but all given this sci-fi twist plus I mean that album I could stare at it at the time for, yeah. for hours because of the little things going on explaining the story yeah. um, so it was uh, it just completely grabbed me and I you know as a 10 year old boy for the next sort of well at least three or four years I was Gary Newman yeah. <laughs> in my so, yeah. so you were already impersonating him yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I loved the theme and I, it gave me actually a sort of an armour. Yeah. In character, I've got an armour. And so I, uh, and I could always impersonate other people anyway as a kid. That sort of entertained my family. But um, I, I found that it's, uh, it, uh, I, if I'm singing as somebody, then I immerse myself in that character. It is act, acting. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Do you uh, think Newman was a visionary? I think he got a tremendous because he's he's Asperger's, yeah. Um, but he's got a tremendous imagination. Bearing in mind all of that imagery, everything he came up with yeah, yeah. with that sound at the age of twenty, you know, with not a lot else before it. Because obviously, I think Gary Newman culturally is is pivotal in British music, yeah. yeah. Because he, you know, yes, Kraftwerk and Tangerine Dream had sort of done space age noodlings and sort of. All that stuff, but he combined all of that with a with a really powerful uh, uh, traditional band, if you like, bass, guitar, yeah, yeah. but added layers and layers of synth with lyrics and stories to, to match that. And he was um, very important. And, and after that, everyone had got a synthesizer for the next yeah. two years. Yeah. Depeche Mode, yeah, OMD, you know, they all came along, Tops yeah. and Twins, and even. You know, yeah, but so you think, you think that whole scene kind of was kickstarted by him? Absolutely, yeah. And people used to say, well, you know, he's just a Bowie clone. Well, he wore some eyeliner, but that it actually, if you listen to them musically, he's nothing. You could not mistake Gary Newman for David yeah. Bowie. He's got his a, a completely unique voice as well. You know, which okay. So you, I mean, you're listening to him from a very young age. Yeah, right. Ten years of age. Yeah. 
and then you're kind of gestating the character. I mean, did, did he have other incarnations before the Stars in Your Eyes show? Were there other shows before that? Or was this a first performance? Uh, no, the first, Voyage? first performance. Yeah. You said you were 28, didn't you? Yeah, I was 28. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so between 10 and 28. Between 10 he, and 28. I, was, it, was he kind of silent? or it, did you? Yeah, no, it was all, I mean, certainly until, you know, I, I'd never done, I, did, I hadn't even done a karaoke or anything. No, no school performances or anything like that? No. Uh, oh, actually, tell a lie. Uh, at the age of eight, I was the king in Daniel and the Lion's Den. But certainly no Gary Newman. No. <laughs> no. Okay, so yeah. for anybody listening, that's going to be a that's that's like a hard sell to think that you went from just being a listener to being a performer and giving that performance. Yeah. It's incredibly assured. So fill in the gaps. Then, what enabled you to deliver that? I mean, did your work? Give you that kind of confidence? Did, or did the TV people I, bring it out of you? No, no, they didn't need to tell me anything. In fact, I provided all of their research material for them and uh, you know, was telling them, even with the choreography, how I would move, when I would move, and the spots. So I'd, I'd worked that out. You've rehearsed them. it in your mind. Yeah, in, my, right? in yeah. my head. Because you had to even relearn the song because it's five minutes, 19 yeah. long, and they can only give you sort of two, two to two and a half minutes max. Uh, for the show so I had to sort of relearn the format and you know, ditch whole verses and whatever to make it fit so I had to relearn the song that I've been singing for 18 years and then um, uh, and then and then do it on that on that basis and it was um, I I didn't need what I, what gave me confidence for that is that like when I was a, a kid again a little bit of a loner but I found I could get laughs and attention from my family if I did impersonations. Yeah, yeah. And and that gave me the confidence, especially with Gary Newman, having done that sort of in my bedroom in a mirror mm-hmm. for years. Uh, you know, I, I, I did. I found that when I was like singing in the office, um, you know, Corin and Dave who worked with. They were they were great, and they, you know, they they're the ones that pushed me because they thought it was very close. Yeah. So they were like. We know that there's this weird guy singing in the office, yeah. but at the end of the yeah. day, actually, it's pretty goddamn good. Yeah, yeah. So they were, and that is encouraging in itself. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, I've got to have a go. And at 28, it's sort of, you know, you, you the, the clock's ticking yes. to do anything. Yeah. So I'm glad I did it, though, because it sort of says... Right. What do you remember about the recording and then because the, you have a live live audience in yes. front of you? Yes. So, so how did you feel about the audience? Great. Yeah. I mean, there were. I knew. I knew that I wouldn't uh, win it because uh, what what they were doing was they they give free tickets away to old ladies in right. you know in, in not care homes, but I mean you know like uh, um, like Saga, you know that, yeah. that kind of and uh, you know and uh, clubs and and stuff, and they coach them in. Bring them in on coach. There's a few people you're allowed to take with you. So, you know, I, I had uh, my brothers and uh, and Corinne um, uh, and, uh, and a mum come as well, which is great support. And uh, um, But, yeah, they so so you do your interviews twice. Yeah. Uh, and then each, each, you then go off. And then by the time the fifth contestant has finished their two interviews, number one, that's 45 minutes later, he's ready to come on. Yes. So that's how they that's how they do it. So it's all pretty tight. Yes, and it's the quickest haircut in the world because they tell you to grow your hair. You can't cut yeah. your hair for six months. I look like the wild man of Borneo, really. And uh, but forty five minute head, and they shaved all the front of my hairline off, right, about an inch 
back to recreate Gary Newman's receding hairline. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so you've got to take chocolate. that on board as well, that the, the character that you've had in your head is suddenly emerging from yeah. you, through you, and you're looking at it in the mirror. Yeah. Had, you, had you ever dressed up like him or anything like that? Uh, only, only the clothes, really. I'd, I'd only been brave enough to wear makeup. But uh, was that once. in preparation for the show? Oh, well? no, no, not at all. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, they they made the... Because you don't see your costume until you arrive on the day of the wow. film. So this £600 black leather jumpsuit with the belts and... What was that like seeing that? Did Amazing, because I've been yeah. measured up for it. Yeah. And the, the man who made the costumes made all of the... Um, he was a leather specialist who made all of the costumes for cats in the West End. Yeah, yeah. So they get the best people in. And uh, and that was great. So you, you you fit it up for a cotton inner jumpsuit, if you like, and then they attach the, the full leather thing to that. And I'm still wearing it now. <laughs> Unbelievable. That was another thing that came out. We obviously watched Stars in Your Eyes, and then we went on to see what you're doing now. So kind of rolling the clock forward. Yeah. It didn't just end with it with Stars in Your Eyes. It started there. Yeah. Now you've done a video, a series of videos, where you're doing Newman classics, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that was all during lockdown. We uh, we did. So they. I mean, first of all, they. The Tubeway Days were a band that had been going for a few years, really, um, with um, their their original Gary Newman uh, had started the band with them, and he lived in Norway. So he decided after a few years to sort of, it was too much for him. Yeah, yeah. So in lockdown, I get a, about two months into lockdown, um, I get a, a message from somebody who was vaguely a friend on Facebook, Paul Hurst, a brilliant synthesizer. He's a, he's a proper genius. Yeah. And uh, uh, he um, messaged and said, our Gary has just left. Uh, you're the only one I can think of. No one else is up for the interview. Do you fancy it? And I knew my wife would probably go mad because obviously I've got, at that point, I've got sort of uh, two, two other bands going and, uh, you know, one that was just finishing. So I thought, if I take on this project, she's going to go mad at me. But anyway, but I said, how yes. many Gary Newman's covers bands out there? Well, exactly. Right? There's one other. Really, and that's it. You know, that's one of that. To my knowledge, but uh, so we, uh, so I said, yeah, okay. And they said we're not going to do many gigs, and we don't want to do many gigs. And I thought, okay. So, but once I joined and we started doing audio releases, uh, all of a sudden our Facebook the people were joining, the charts, yeah, people yeah. were just joining and joining, uh, and the, the word was getting out. And they, the reaction that we got to our the first song I did was called "Remind Me to Smile." Uh, from a 1980 album, Telecom. Just people were like gobsmacked because they couldn't believe it wasn't Gary Newman. So I thought, well, great, we're off to a good start. And we released those every Friday yeah, for yeah. about the yeah, next yeah. few months. Yeah. Then we got to Birmingham, again, still in under lockdown conditions, but we filmed uh, three promo videos. Yeah. Our Friends Electric, We Are Glass, and Cars. Yeah. And again, trying to recreate that style. So in the, in the lead up to that, I built um, a glowing uh, pyramid that was just like the Cars glowing pyramid. So it's yeah. LED lighting inside vinyl tubes. That whole thing cost us 800 pounds. But uh, you want it, it had to be right. We've be got right. a bit of experience of this because for Al's workplace, we did a charity 
uh, take on yeah, it's comic relief. Wasn't comic it? relief. Mm. I want to break free. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I dressed up as Freddy for that <laughs> with, with, with the leather skirt, and suspenders. <laughs> uh, I, I directed it, and we kind of uh, sort of went into people's houses and, and almost shot so it frame it for one, frame. One particular person had the exact house structure with the with the stairs, with the stairs behind. Right, yeah, um, so we set the camera up and recreated that, and then. You, you broke the scenes down. I think there's something like 36 scenes. Or yeah, we broke it just into seconds and stuff, and then you shot the the group scenes that work with all the click through. But so it's a massive undertaking. Mm. Uh, I mean, what comes over from your video is just how polished it is. And what was extraordinary was the performance. Um, I watched a film with Anthony Hopkins in where he played Picasso, right? Mm. And the first few scenes you watch in Anthony Hopkins with brown lenses in, and you see it's and then there's some unspecified moment you're watching Picasso now when I was watching you I had that same experience of watching Newman did you have that when you were doing it did you do you kind of put the clobber on and then you become Newman yeah and then yeah 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 absolutely and uh even down to the blue I mean you wouldn't believe what a difference having blue eyes is compared to brown mm. in terms of staring into a camera lens and that's why Prince um, had Gary Newman on his turntable for a couple of years and telling people what a genius Gary Newman was. Because, he, and you have a look, the next Prince, early Prince videos, um, he's looking right into the camera and with the piercing eye and the eyeliner. And the eyeliner just accentuates the, the drama of, so he's looking at you. Yes. And it's very, blue eyes and an eyeliner like that yeah. really is dr yeah, dramatic yeah. look. So... Again, once I got my blue lenses in, they're so cheap now, like yeah, 12 yeah. quid or something. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, it's mesmerising. What's mesmerising about it is that you only kind of mildly take in the periphery. You're drawn into like these vortexes of the, the eyes. And I think that's what really yeah. blew me away because I thought, here's somebody who's really understood it, who studied it and understood the key things. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. we were sort of talking about the, uh, the power that comes yeah. from you. It's like... Yeah, that's, that looks like a seasoned professional that knows exactly <laughs> what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and I and I love it. But, and, and I'm in full like I'm in full Gary mode. Obviously, yeah, at that point we can see that. Yeah. The other question that kind of uh, came up in my mind as as a kind of performer who does various things is how do you manage not to be all the time? Does the other work that you do act as sort of ballast? Is that like the lead on the keel that stops you from... Yeah, I think in um, even in my Gary Newman show, so when we're on stage, I, I, I deliberately do not um, act as Gary Newman between songs. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk to them. For instance, I had a new blue jumpsuit made for the Stockport gig, which was all filmed and we'll, we've been going to release our first DVD. Can't wait. Um so, uh, so I come on in the second half in this blue jumpsuit. Now, because it's made in India, they didn't quite get the specifications right. <laughs> and it was pretty tight, right? But it's okay. It was okay to wear. It was fine. But after I'd finished the first song of the second half when I come on, I said, just in case you're wondering, I can't breathe. <laughs> and and that, again, that just makes people laugh because yeah, they know yeah. I, I don't think, I don't want them to think I walk around 24 hours yeah. a day thinking I'm Gary Newman, you know, drinking Coca-Cola and, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't want that. So I want to so bring... So you break character I'm, between songs. And absolutely. Right. So I'm still Chris Fielding and I still have good fun with people, you know, and 
And because they're such fans, they're on often about, you know, his career or whatever. Uh, like when he retired, yeah. he sang a, the most poignant song is called Please Push No More, and he's saying goodbye to the fans. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I sat down, and this is the first time we'd been, you know, filmed and whatever, and I said, blimey, you know, one song and it's all over. And then I sing this song, oh, and they're, yeah. but they're all laughing with me because yes. they, they get it, you know. But then it's been fantastic, the live shows, because people have, grown men have been coming up to me saying, you took me back to my childhood, yeah. and I was crying yeah, my yeah. eyes out during whatever, down in the park. Or, so it's great. So you said that the band said that they didn't want to do many songs but yeah, I mean, has that gigs, accelerated a bit absolutely yeah once we once they could see the reaction that was happening uh, i don't know whether it was just they were so busy or they just didn't think it was going to go anywhere but maybe the previous game yeah, wasn't yeah quite so without good. wanting to be you know uh, to uh, you know it, it it was it was okay it wasn't it wasn't out of tune or anything but it, it wasn't that close perhaps and uh, but the music always was yeah they play uh, there's no sampling there's no it's live they, yeah. they create so they've figured it out themselves properly yeah, properly proper I mean, paul paul will spend weeks over one sound i mean literally yeah these filters and whatever else he does it's an it's another world so Noon's still alive yeah he's still out there yeah is he aware of you i would think so yes um I would think so because you're an ambassador up for him. Really. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly through his back catalogue, we're going to do him no harm at all, you know, because people are, haven't because we are specifically doing 1979 and 80, that period only. Yeah, it means that it's pure nostalgia. So therefore, obviously, his, his back catalogue, people haven't heard some of those songs for years, you know, in a live setting, yeah. and they they certainly won't have. He doesn't do. Probably three quarters of what we play, at least, he doesn't do anymore, and hasn't for years. So they're loving it, hearing it all come through a big PA system, you know. And now with lights that we're adding, you know, the the, the DVD will show. We've even got, I mean, he had rotating pyramids called Huey and Dewey on yeah. stage, all adding to the thing. So when the dry ice is flowing on the floor, these rotating pyramids and they move and they rotate and they change colour from within, they glow like pers uh, frosted perspex. Um, so we've gone and made these, 900 pounds to create two pyramids. Um, uh, and it's it's so clever, but our drummer, Ian's such a clever man, he's built them, they work. We don't even need to have a radio controller like the originals did, we can just press them on and away they go. So, so they move within their own framework uh, and people are like, they cannot believe what they're seeing because they are exactly what I used 43 years ago. You know? So there is, I mean, our pod is about creativity. There's a hugely creative aspect to what you're doing, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. So absolutely. talk about your own kind of creative process with, with, with Gary, you know? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, in terms of just the impersonation, it's about not overdoing it. Because I, I think... There's a lot of, um, the best out of it comes from being subtle and, and not, uh, otherwise it turns into pantomime. Yeah, you know? I mean, did you, I mean, I don't know if you're happy with or comfortable with the term tribute act. Yeah. Are you, is that, yeah, are you no, okay no, with that? No, no. Yeah. Did you watch other acts doing other artists? I always have. Yeah. 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 And because, <laughs> because I impersonate a lot of different people, yeah. you know, then often I think didn't I could do a better job than most of them. <laughs> <laughs> didn't you used to have a Christmas band? 
Um, not a Christmas band as such, but I mean, we do full Christmas shows. Yeah, as the I was in a, a glam rock and party band, which I'm still in. That's I do. Well, uh, last time it was 47 gigs we had a year. Jeez, that's so we did. We were doing a lot, and that's. I would have come to see it at Christmas, I think. Yeah, with my well, sister. we're on again this Christmas. Not too late. We're still going. Yeah. Um, yeah so um, you know, we town that's, assembly. That's rooms. variety, isn't it? That's like, that's a whole yeah, host that's of, right. but it's all covers. It's all covers, and it all in costume. Uh, and again, I have all the costumes made. Uh, you know, wigs, beards, everything to go with it. So that's so really, I mean, a lot of the creativity then is in the detail. It's is in absolutely the about the detail. I never yeah. want, I never want to, um, I never want to skimp on it looking right because we're dealing with nostalgia, and it's no good. Even if you had the music and the voice perfectly to pat, even if you had that, if you're coming on in a jeans and t-shirt that says "I'm Gary Newman," that's no good, is it? You've got to as much as you can yeah look the part and that's yeah. every little thing so for instance i ordered um the, on the on the cars video you you wouldn't see it in the video itself but certainly on one of the albums all of the band have two-tone shoes so they're boots like a chelsea boot one half white one half black you can't buy them not yes. in a men's shoe yeah, you know yeah. size 10 or whatever so I ordered white boots from Wish and uh, for all the band in the right size. I got leather acrylic paint, masked them up, painted them black on the one side, and they look exactly uh, like like that. So, and even for the second half when we do 1980, the band had like red sashes down to knee length. So I've got my wife to sew all those up, and uh, all of the band have got their own sashes. So it's all the tiny details. And that's what really makes it. And what, the whole combination of that is probably what makes some people a bit emotional because you're taking them back to when yeah. they're 13 or yeah. whatever. You that's know, awesome. So. Right, we'll have a short break and then we'll come back and talk about Bowie Absolutely. and other uh, performances. Yeah, yeah. No Thanks. <laughs> So we're back with part two, the wonderful Chris Fielding, who's held, held us enthralled here with Tales of Gary Newman. Um, just over to you, Al. Yeah. So how do you know Chris? Well, when he was talking about the people that uh, he was singing to in the office, one of those was my sister. Right. And she came back sort of talking about how amazing her boss was. And he was like, yeah, whatever, man, <laughs> as I call her. And uh, she was like, no, no, seriously, this guy is really, really good. And and I think she got you to do some paint, um, not painting, but charcoal drawings. That's to, right. You'd never met me and you'd just have a photograph. And <laughs> it was like, and then you did the same for my dad and they, yeah. were, they were really good. And it's like, okay, yeah, it's a bit, bit unusual. And then, and then, you know, some time must have elapsed and it was the stars in their eyes thing. But mm. then we did go and watch you, I think, in Tamworth a few times. So mm. I've kind of always uh, been aware of you. And then my dad was talking about how successfully uh, the Gary Newman outfit was and um, here we are today. Mm. It's been a while, hasn't it? I think the last time I saw you, I, I don't know what the purpose was, but you got me over to make you a backing track for Cars, I think it was. That's right. Um, I don't, right. don't know what you did with it or what it was for, but... Yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, there was some kind of glitch in it, so it jumped and there was no way of resolving that issue. I don't know what so it was, it but anyway, so I can never use it anyway. Such <laughs> <laughs> is the way of things. Yes. <laughs> So I'm really fascinated now to just um, to take a trip into Bowie land mm. because we talked about uh, 
how and why you were drawn to Gary Newman. So Bowie was obviously out there. So when were you first aware of him? Uh, age four, right? Because I'm the youngest of four brothers, and um, my the, the middle two brothers, uh, Mark and Rob, they are like seven and a half and nearly eight and a half years older than me. So by the time I was sort of four or five, seventy three, seventy four. Uh, they would have been more like, you know, 12-ish, uh, 30. And so my brothers had bog brushed hair and yes. so it was the new thing. And, and so I was the first albums and songs I was ever singing were on Hunky Dory. Hunky Dory, of course, uh, that classic I album. clearly remember singing Kooks yeah. when I was four. Um, four. Four years old. And you I, seem to have this incredible instinct for quality and it sort of reached out and it, and it obviously set something going in your mind. Yeah. What was it about him? Was it the voice or the look, do you think, first? Uh, as a child, I was less bothered about the look, really. Um, I, I It was always the music because that was what struck me first. So something as fantastic as, on particularly Hunky Dory, Quicksand. Yeah. What a great, Quicksand, what a brilliant record. And Kooks, love it. Um, but again, I... I I was hearing it that often. Um, I I was then sort of taking up that mantle and, and whatever new Bowie album was coming out, I was scraping together what I could to go and buy it, you know. Or in the good old days, of course, Tamworth Library. Yes, you know, I think it was twenty five p for an album. Yeah, high, you know, so it's great. Um, so we were, were you trying to emulate, like, or just singing along? Uh, no, everything I've ever sung is always in the style of who I'm yeah. listening to. So, I could so not, I could not sing Prince in a Birmingham accent. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it but just that's something it. in you in, in, in as a performer. The aware, it's like me it's method acting, really. Yeah, you know, right. where you're not just singing the song. Yeah. You're, you're taking on the persona now. Obviously, was Newman or is Newman like Bowie in the sense that with every album there's a style shift, there's an image shift, or is he more recognisably one figure? Because Bowie's kind of protein, isn't he? He's constantly changing. Yeah, yeah. I think with uh, there were two different stories really because I think Bowie vocally is a chameleon. He, he adapts his voice to so many different styles. So if, if you listen to Ziggy and then you listen to Young Americans, it's, it's a really, and even the, the, the early, early Bowie stuff, he is Anthony Newley. It's just an Anthony Newley impersonation. If you listen to Anthony Newley, you can't tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, Malcolm so, McLaren famously talks about like the pistols and this kind of karaoke culture. Yeah. You know, and this yeah. whole thing about, kind of reanimating the spirits of, you know, the sometimes dead or the, you know, yeah. the occasionally living. Yeah. That you've got to embody that. Yeah. Know, and that's yeah. part of the kind of, you know, the, what he talks about. Mm. Was there a particular image or uh, epoch of Bowie? I mean, you've talked about, obviously, uh, that wonderful masterpiece, Hungry Dory. Mm. Is, is that still the the, the, the album you most treasure? Is that still the era you most kind oh, of... No, that's the beauty of, of, of Bowie, really, I think, because they are, in some cases, dramatically different albums, which is why he got shouted at by, you know, RCA and EMI often, because he wasn't giving them some sort of pop fodder. He was giving them something in a new direction. So, like, when Young Americans was a massive success in the US... Mm. 
you know, the, he, he then did low, I think it was after that, and they sent it him back and said, yeah. can you just do us another Young Americans, please? Yeah, because that works. Yeah. And, and with every iteration, he's changing. Yeah. And uh, the thing that always um, uh, kind of amused me about him was when he did Let's Dance, I think 83, 84. Yeah, 83. Um, he, he said, I've, I've never come closer to quitting mm. because it was such a huge success. It was a massive thing, yeah. I think he said that he at the time, he, his, his audience suddenly become full of Dire Straits fans, mm -hmm. and you know, which was true because it was utter pop, wasn't it? It was. It wasn't even his album, really. It was Nile Rogers. Yeah, Nile yeah. Rogers' album. He made it this monster hit machine album, and and it was the most. Looking back, it was the most sort of plastic thing he did. But he'd always been associated with outsider culture. The people he'd outsider, referenced yeah. were yeah. outsiders, like Burroughs in the writing. Those cut ups, yeah. Burroughsian. Um, and then let's dance, as you say, it's it's mainstream. Yeah. So um, when you perform, Bowie, do you go through the kind of changes? Yes. Snap a term? Yes, exactly. Yeah, very good. Uh, no, I think, he, um, yes, I, again, uh, if I'm singing something from his early period, in the same way as with Gary Newman, if I sing an old Gary Newman, it's a younger voice. Bit That's thinner, extraordinary. And yeah. then I can adapt that voice through Gary Newman's career to what album I'm singing and make the voice deeper and fuller. And then, you know. And would you, if you, you know, when you're doing a set, are you thinking chronologically? You know, would you sort of do a, you know, honky dory? I mean, did you, did you go up to the sort of the, the later stuff, you know, like outside and um, earthling, or did you just leave that sort of stuff alone? No, no. I think because, again, be, uh, when I was doing Bowie by Moonlight, I was, I was making it. Uh, all about because to me the most interesting thing about any tribute act is utter nostalgia so you want to some a recreation of something from long gone by So you draw a line then, you you with with Bowie. Yeah, I yeah. think because up until '83, you know, with the, the the suits and the the blonde hair and whatever, up until that point, people were still very much in love with Bowie. I think there is a point at which after that, people started. Although there were little peaks and troughs, you know, I think people were his old fan base anyway. That is probably the point at which they stopped buying the albums in the great numbers. And there is a actual sales drop off there. I think Let's Dance sold something like 12 million, um, something like that. Um, and I think Loving the Alien, it was like a third of that. Yeah. Uh, you know the um, Tonight album, um, and and so on and so on, and and, and basically things like Tin Machines. Tin Machines sold a million. Yeah, total sales. Do you think there was a point at which Bowie came back? Yes, absolutely. After after Tin Machine didn't work, and uh, then he did the Sound and Vision tour yeah. in 1990, and after that, then he starts to become, in my eyes, more interesting. So then the albums become. 
Uh, I mean, particularly outside, I yeah. thought that was like Diamond Dogs. So I'm really fascinated that you you like that, but you don't perform that. No, not anymore. No, so not anymore. When did you perform Bowie? Yeah, Bowie by Moonlight was. Uh, I think we did it for about two or three, two two years or so, putting it all together. And after um, we died, that was. Oh yeah, it was. Um, we had started rehearsing about three months before he died, and. Uh, and then, of course, once he did die, we thought, blimey, you know, this is lit a bonfire under it in, the, yeah. in a sort of a vulture, <laughs> vulture type way. You know, it was a, a fact that was suddenly, but what happened was um, there were two things really. One, in any band, there's an organiser and somebody who drives it. Yeah. Uh, and, and the remaining bands tend to just do their own thing and just hold their hand out waiting for the money. And so I, I found I was the, the do and the driver. I did the posters, I did the banners, I, I delivered leaflets, I, you know, yeah. did all of that. And it was basically for a seven-piece band as well, getting them all into a room to rehearse at the same time. Yeah. That was difficult. So and how many audience, How many were you... Typically playing to in an audience, playing to three hundred, uh, five hundred. Well, no, no, we don't. We never got that far. I think we were, what was it, Rose Theatre in in Rugeley? That was about one hundred and ninety-five, two hundred. Small, small yeah, theatre, yeah. but it never really properly got off the ground for us. We we found ourselves just. Uh, I mean, we're getting well paid, but much, much smaller little places just to just to keep our hand in more than anything. Yeah. A seven-piece band, you never make any yeah, money, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, not that that was really the driver. I just loved doing it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it was too much hard work. Yeah, really. So Bowie kind of recedes into the background, and yeah. Newman really becomes the dominant. Uh, well, I went back to my party band. I even then started a rock and well, not started. I joined a, a, a three, a, a four piece um, rock and roll band. Yeah, um, real rock and roll. You know, fifties and and in the early eighties when like the Stray Cats and you know yeah. sort of rockabilly was back in. Um, and I enjoyed that, um, but because I was so, I got so much other work with other bands. They sort of uh, sacked me really because I couldn't. I couldn't just take a gig. They had to yeah, keep yeah. asking me if I was free or not. Yeah, you know, yeah. and often I wasn't. How so, on earth does your wife cope with all this? I don't know. She was starting to call me darling because she couldn't remember my first name. <laughs> yeah, uh, she. We were just. Yeah, I know. She's um, long suffering. She, but she's, she's a hero by the sounds. Of he, he has to sneak out after dark. That's why. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's why. But now I find uh, Sue's been. Um, uh, amazing really with the Gary Newman thing because obviously we've been here together a long time and um, I've I've never really forced Gary because I know that Gary Newman is um, you know it's an, he's a unique unusual artist now so whilst I've never specifically played her the songs and say listen to this she's heard me playing them mm. in the house I've always got music on and when I started doing this to a live audience the Gary Newman and she's reading the reaction on Facebook, which is yeah, off yeah. the scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't believe it. Um, what, what sort of size audiences have you been playing? Well, we... Uh, what is, sorry, is, um, we are playing the Tube by Days. Yeah. Um, well, we we built it from obviously nothing, so we've had three sellouts, um, but these are like music venues at like 200 standing. So we've done... Um, Stockport Garrick Theatre was sold out, uh, Manchester was sold out, um... We also did, oh yeah, fantastic night up in Gateshead, the little theatre in Gateshead. So we've done very well. Uh, it will get better. Yeah. Um, how many are in the band? Uh, we're a six-piece band, yeah. Um, so 
the venues that we booked for 2023 that we'll be uh, hopefully be able to announce next couple of weeks um, uh, they they're that next step up so um, in like Manchester and yeah, Southampton yeah. Glasgow uh, these are the ones you can't tell us about yet. yeah I can't actually give you that yet um, there is a reason why um, but it's great because we we're tying everything in together so as soon as we can announce all of our dates yeah yeah there'll be um there will be merchandise that will accompany all of this yeah. uh, for 2023. We've got it all sort of ready to pan out. We just need to confirm another couple of gigs and uh, and we're ready to go. But there's some great, uh, lovely theatres that we're going to be playing. Yeah. Now, in terms of his songbook, do you, I mean, you, again, like with the Bowie, do you stick to a sort of, if you like, a band of an era, a classic era? Yes. You don't go beyond? We don't go beyond the first four albums. Right. So there's Tube by Army, which is the like a punk stroke synth I was going to say, because there's a video of you doing uh, This Is My Life, is it? Yeah, that's right. That's a recent uh, thing that we've done. And that's yeah. pretty punk, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, that's it. And that's from like Guitar. almost a sort of punk demos that yeah. he used to do um, under Tube by Army to get a record deal. Um, so, Hence the name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we uh, we do those first four albums, so Tube by Army, Replicas, the Pleasure Principle and Telecom, yeah. which is where the jumpsuit is from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so beyond that, the problem, whilst I love, I love most of his albums, but um, after that, he starts getting in saxophone players, fretless bass players, right. women singers. It just gets a bit difficult. It gets difficult and complicated to reproduce that. So, I think. Just for our own sanity, we'll keep we'll keep things as they as yeah. they are. Yeah. As an essence, as an essential Gary Newman, right? Yeah. So, what do you want your audience to experience? Is it that kind of that kind of nostalgia cruise and that 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 kind of almost like getting in a time machine in a TARDIS yeah. and yeah. going back and almost suspending any disbelief they have? When they're looking at you, they are back in that time. Is exactly, that what it's about? Exactly. And we had a great review, um, like a two-page spread actually, in, in Blitz magazine. Blitz, uh, yeah. And uh, they they did this, and the, the, the chap who came to see us um, was, his name is uh, Mick Scarlett, and he was um, in a band called Freak UK that supported Gary Newman on his tour in 91, I think it was. Uh, and I was there, actually, funny little story. We went to Leicester Polytechnic to watch Gary Newman. He was on his uppers at that point. Crowd size-wise, people weren't buying tickets much. You know, he was struggling. So he did like a million tiny venues across Britain. And um, so we went to the Leicester Polytechnic and the, the, the smoke starts, the lights fire up and it's all going great. And the big booming noise and you thought, oh, this is going to be great. And then the fire alarms went off. <laughs> so, so all the audience and the band and Gary Newman were all stood in the car park waiting for the fire service <laughs> to turn up. crazy, yeah, yeah. How the mighty have fallen. If you, Chris, if you could meet him, if we could do like a, I don't want to say Jim will fix it because that just screws like, everything up. Possibly say that. What's that medal for? If you had, if you had one wish, if if we could rub a lamp and you, or three yeah. wishes, say, what would what would you ask Gary Newman if you could if you could speak to him? Mm. Because you've inhabited him, yeah. probably almost as long as he yeah. <laughs> he's been yeah. himself. Yeah. What would you ask? What would you want to know? I don't know really. I've, I've often thought that. I mean, I have met him just for a record signing, but there wasn't much time to chat there really. Um, I 
I think I would, um, they would be career-based questions. So when he sort of started to lose confidence, for instance, he would, he would started listening to people just to get in the charts. So people would say like, like house music had come in. What Gary Newman was doing was like miles about. So people were trying to convince him that he needed some sort of remix project to put a drum beat to everything he'd ever done and release that. And and so he'd sort of listen to that a bit and, and then he'd, you know, follow advice instead of just sticking to his instincts. He started listening to others when it started to fail. So... Uh, I would ask him questions like that. Why Why did he do certain albums in that way? And, and why could he not see that it wasn't working? So by the time 1988 comes, for instance, it, an album Metal Rhythm, it's basically Janet Jackson. It's Janet Jackson with Gary Newman's voice. It, he, he was trying to do a strange dance funk album with this London you know chrome voice and it just it was weird you know it was strange <laughs> but some of the sadness the so sad part, some of the songs are brilliant yeah they? yeah really good then in a different way it would have been great so the fact is as soon as you begin to compromise you're dead you may as well you stick yeah. your guns and go down in flames but yeah. stick your guns yeah and finally then what is your dream what is what would be your ideal uh, kind of I can moment. tell you straight away. What? The dream. Yeah. For for Tubeway Days, the dream would be that we um, build enough of a following so that either at the point where Gary Newman retires or, you know, God forbid, but I mean, if he did pass away, that we, as a celebratory night, we would be able to book and play Hammersmith Odeon or Labatt's Apollo or whatever it's called this week. But... Hammersmith Odeon, he would play four nights sold out and matinees and all sorts. Um, for years and years and years, I've seen him there loads of times. So it's the place that he used to go over the flyover at Hammersmith with his bass player, Paul Gardner, and say, one day, one day we'll play there. That's the dream. So that was his dream. So my dream would be to be able to book and do the, say, 1979 entire set list with and throw a lot of money at the lights to recreate that stage. Uh, and do a full night for all proper Gary Newman fans. And I'm sure, you know, we've worked it out, actually. It costs about £20,000, I believe, to hire Hammersmith Odeon. So on that basis, we'd need 800 people at £25 a ticket to break even. What's the capacity? Oh, about 3,000. So I wouldn't. if we could just play it, I wouldn't care if, if we sold, you know. If we got to 1,000 people, even 1,000 people, less than half full, Hammersmith Odeon. That would be the the ultimate the dream. Yeah. dream. Yeah. So, Chris, obviously you've got these gigs coming up. Um, there's Gary Newman fans out there everywhere. How do they sort of know about you? What, where, what How do you market yourselves? Well, hopefully they'll have a friend who's already a, a fan of ours. But if not, then uh, yeah, Tubeway Days. Um, so, uh, which is a reference from a, uh, a song, "Are You Real?" Yeah, Tubeway Days, and um, and yeah, go on Facebook. Um, we have our own web page as well but just the normal Facebook page and stuff and on YouTube yeah um, YouTube we've got um, our, our uh, promo videos on there as well um, and and the other sort of side projects uh, that we have uh, talking of which in fact there's another uh, project I've got coming out which we're very excited about I've just finished filming a new music video of an old uh, Gary Newman song called The Dream Police 
and it's for charity. Um, Gary Newman's old drummer, Cedric Sharpley, uh, passed away about 10 years ago now, and he's got a drummer's charity where they put pupils through a drumming school for the year. So they put money into it and they can have one-to-one -one tuition to be drummers. And um, so we're helping with that. And this video, all filmed in Tamworth, uh, is in a like an ambient, chilled out style. So we're taking a quite a, a fast, thrashy type number and we're turning it into a really chilled. So there's a, a, a Gary Newman song called Ch Child with the Ghost. And so we're called Chilled with the Ghost. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. That's the community aspect of it yeah absolutely that's yeah. the community aspect and, but, and yeah. i've just got to ask because my dad said something about um birmingham film festival or something oh yeah that's so, another thing i mean that the this is uh, this is my life video that was filmed all around birmingham so that's the punk track we were that, the punky earlier. track yeah that has been um uh, again the director's put it into competition and it's made the final five for best music video bearing in mind hundreds of music videos go into yeah, yeah. Yeah. Birmingham uh, Institute and um, so we've got the awards ceremony uh, I think the week after next and um, red carpet time I'll get the I'll get the dicky bow out and uh, see what happens um, so uh, we've got a one in five chance I suppose awesome Chris it has been a fascinating odyssey uh, <laughs> to have this window onto your life and I'm sure you get to play that gig and I hope will be in attendance. So yeah. thank you from the bottom of our hearts for talking to us. No problem at all. Thanks Chris Fielding. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Good Road Podcast. Where we talk about creativity, connectivity, and community with anybody involved in the arts. In our home city of Litchfield and, and the world, world at large. large.